0: Good, guys. Once again, it's now. The of now. Give it up for the Dreadals, everybody! <laughs> Greetings and welcome to MERS Monday, the official podcast of the MERS Political Newsletter. I'm Kyle Malin. A little later, we're going to have the new Chief Supreme Court Justice Beth Clement going to be joining us, and also Jennifer Conlon. She is a new state representative from the 48th District, Livingston County and washington county and we just find out a little piece of jackson as well but the first thing on the agenda we are going to be talking about our house member of the year and joining us here in mers world headquarters to talk about that rachel just uh from sinclair broadcasting and over zoom we've got our own danielle james who is uh i think in a different location today where are you where are you at today danielle
1: Yeah, I'm actually spending, I spent the weekend at my parents um, doing a little early Christmas, you know, planning, shopping. We went to Frankenmuth, so that was pretty fun, but I'm excited to be back in Lansing later this week.
0: Did you get me a Bronner's Christmas ornament or not?
1: I did, yes. It says world's best boss.
0: Oh, God, you're so awesome. All right. And also joining us over Zoom is Jordan Hermony who is at M Live now. But the reason we wanted to have you in here is because you were actually covering the state house for Gongwer when they were actually doing something this year.
2: Yeah, that feels like forever ago, honestly, but I am very excited. Uh, first-time caller, long-time listener, so thanks for having me.
0: Well, we appreciate you coming on because this has been a very difficult year to try and think of who to nominate for the House Member of the Year. For our subscribers who have been uh, following us this week, Uh, We have been writing about the futility of this particular legislature. They passed fewer acts than we've seen from any legislature since 1960. They have met fewer times and actually had a session where they actually took the role since 1950. And remember, 1950 is the last year that they stopped um, having this every other session thing. The only reason they were in session is because the governor called them into session. And that's the only reason they were there. They never used to even meet in even number of years. So we had to go that far back to find a legislature that did less. And then when they actually did pass something, the governor ended up vetoing 13% of their bills. So, so we had a lot of conversations about who we would be nominating here for House Member of the Year. But I, I think we did a pretty good job here, and we talked a little bit about, uh, about who we were nominating. Um, but, um, Danielle, why don't we start with you, and uh, who are you taking a look at?
1: Of course. Yeah, I'm happy to start. So for my House member of the year, I decided did to nominate Representative Ann Bolin. And, you know, Bolin has been reelected to represent District 49, though she's been serving District 42 with Southeast Livingston County since 2019. And, you know, I chose to nominate Bolin for mostly for her work as chair of the House Elections and Ethics Committee, including her, you know, Public Act 219 to expand polling place locations to include things like public halls, senior housing facilities, you know, as long as they're not owned by someone who's politically involved. And so, you know, during this historic slow year for the Michigan legislature, she achieved bipartisanship and was able to get her bill signed into law, part of an election reform package that requires the secretary of state and county clerks to remove dead voter rolls monthly, create a chain of custody for ballot drop boxes, allow the electronic return of ballots for active military members and allow two days of absentee ballot pre-processing processing, which, you know, although it wasn't used as much as we originally thought, um, I think kind of showcases how she was able to work with both sides of the aisle and the governor. And, you know, this effort earned Bolin a position on the demon Wentworth truck parked outside the Capitol, which, you know, he and Hornberger both referenced during their goodbye speeches. Um, BUT IN ADDITION TO ELECTION REFORM, SHE ALSO SERVED ON THE APPROPRIATIONS COMMITTEE ALONG WITH A FEW SUBCOMMITTEE POSITIONS LIKE VICE CHAIR OF GENERAL GOVERNMENT APPROPRIATIONS AND, YOU KNOW, THE HEALTH AND HUMAN SERVICES AND JOINT CAPITAL outlay SUBCOMMITTEES. AND THEN SHE DID HAVE ONE OTHER PUBLIC ACT, 79, WHICH MODIFIES THE REQUIREMENTS FOR REGISTERED NURSE AIDES. SO, YOU KNOW, SHE WAS ABLE TO ACCOMPLISH SOMETHING in DURING A YEAR WHEN NOT THAT MUCH GOT DONE, SO.
0: So as the chair of the Elections Committee, too, she could have really dove into this election fraud and conspiracy talk, too, that was very prevalent within the Republican grassroots. And she didn't take the bait. Uh, she did look at ways to improve the election system, uh, but she didn't go as, to far, go as far as um, looking into things that weren't there. And so I do think that has to be mentioned as well. Sometimes it's not what you do, but it's what you didn't do. And uh, in this case, if she were to have a high level of activity, which is one of our three criteria efficiency, impact, and level of activity, if the level of activity would have been for something that was just pure political theater to rally up the Republican base, you know, is that anything that would have actually uh, moved through the process and actually got signed into law? And of course, the answer is no um it would have just been uh just create a lot of show so um ann bullen does uh, receive a lot of credit uh for that for keeping it on task and trying to actually fix things within the election system uh while appeasing folks on her side of the aisle who were seeing a lot of things that they quite frankly just wanted to see uh jordan let's go ahead with
2: your nomination so I am going to uh, nominate Representative Angela Whitwer, a Democrat out of Delta Township. And I mostly wanted to nominate her uh, for two, two big reasons. A, she was integral in uh, the Democrats' attempts to retake the House, uh, which obviously they were successful. Um, she was the caucus campaign chair. And so I have to imagine that she was, you know, the, I don't want to say star of the show, but I believe you guys used the phrase quarterback. Um, and you know she was responsible for helping the Democrats outraise Republicans, which you know we don't really see for a minority party. Um, this was a heck of a year for Democrats on both chambers. So I think that she deserves uh, you know a, a wealth of praise there. But another portion that I really wanted to talk about was the her bipartisanship, um, which I believe honestly. So we we go back, we look at some of the stuff that she sponsored. Um, She was on a number of Republican bills. She worked very closely with Representative Mark Tisdale of Rochester to create uh, a new Michigan Employment Opportunity Program within the Strategic Fund uh, that I know you guys highlighted. Um, She helped to sponsor three acts in in 2022, which for a year, as you noted, that didn't have uh, much movement and was one of the lower performing legislatures that put her up near the top which is a little astonishing to say in terms of lawmakers who actually saw their their bill signed into law. But again, going back to that bipartisanship, uh, she put in a lot of work, worked both sides of the aisle, and she's going to get rewarded pretty handsomely for it coming into the 102nd legislature. She's going to chair the House Appropriations Committee, and I believe she's the first non-Appropes member Uh, So she did not serve on the Appropriations Committee within this last year, within this last term, excuse me. She's the first non-appropriations committee member to chair appropriations in almost two decades. which you have to think is something strategic. Like I said, she has embodied a spirit of bipartisanship. When you're working with as big of a budget as you are going to be coming into this new year, we have something still like seven billion dollars on the table. Um, you got to believe that that's going to be need somebody in the driver's seat that's capable of working with both sides of the aisle and doing so in a respectful, responsible way. Um, so I really wanted to nominate her and highlight her for her work this year behind the scenes, but especially the work that she has the ability to bring into next year's legislature.
0: Thank you for that nomination, Jordan. You know, we did award her the Democratic Legislator of the Year. For a lot of the reasons that uh, that you brought up here, It's not very often that we see Democrats in the legislature uh, receive endorsements from the Farm Bureau, from business leaders, um, SBAM, the Michigan Chamber of Commerce, which usually never endorsed any Democrats, and now they're kind of moving away from that a little bit. But uh, for a legislator who is in a competitive district like Angela Whitworth to get these kind of Bills passed to get these kind of endorsements really speaks to the the respect she has on both sides of the aisle. And, um, you know, she can she can do both. And you don't really see this a lot where you have somebody who can pass policy, can work on the other side of the aisle, get things done, but also play the partisan game and get your side in a position to win. And she did win this year. Uh, Her side got majority when there were a few who thought that it was possible. Uh, So um, a, a great nomination. Thank you very much, Jordan. Uh, Rachel Just, what do we have uh, for your nomination?
3: I know we've been talking a lot about how little was accomplished this year. I know that's fresh on our minds because, what, two weeks ago, we had that very aggravating, very long night <laughs> covering the lame duck and, and really nothing getting done there, kind of putting a point on it. But um, something that we did see, and it seems like he's gotten it figured out in his third term, is Tommy Brand. Um passing quite a few things that are are significant legislation maybe not a name you hear that often but someone who did get a lot done a couple of things that I'm seeing here being that he got service dogs um, can be specially trained to meet a wide range of their owners needs things like that guide dogs helping them out Um, and a bill that's upping the age of selling um, smoking up to 21, um, creating a class for entrepreneurship, and legislation that's removing the $10 surcharge on traffic tickets. Um, that's that's used to help finance Michigan's Secondary Road Patrol Fund. So things that, you know, maybe is not going to be catching the headlines, things that maybe not uh, the everyday person isn't going to be talking about, but things that are significant pieces of legislation that we saw moved this year.
0: You know, that Secondary Road Patrol bill that you mentioned here, Rachel, was... Um, Actually, one of his shining accomplishments for this session, he's been working on that bill since he became representative. Uh, That was a very tough bill to get passed. How do you fund the secondary road patrol going forward? Um, Because the traffic tickets he found was not, um, um, he didn't think it was fair on people who are getting popped for tickets. And so he came up with this idea of taking a certain percent out of the liquor control Uh, revenue and putting that into the secondary road control ended up being 15 million dollars and if there's anything that we can say about tommy brand he is extremely compassionate toward the least fortunate so my first interview that i did with tommy brand he was talking about how he was working at his restaurant brand steakhouse on division uh there in uh, grand rapids and uh, he looked across the street and he saw a woman who was picking scraps out of the trash of the dumpster of the fish fry across the street and he he just couldn't take it. He he walked across the street, and he brought her over to his restaurant and gave her a hot meal. I thought, wow. I mean, so this is the kind of guy who's coming in here. And 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 here's something else he did, which I thought was amazing. So, 2017, first time in the legislature, he was one of five house members and the only Republican to take, adva- or to take advantage or to participate in something called. Michigan homelessness sleepout one night without a home where he actually spent the night unsheltered outside in some 30 some degree temperatures. I mean, this was a cold night. This was, uh, November. I think it was, and it was not a warm November. I I remember this. This was not warm at all, but he volunteered to spend a night outdoors just so he knew what it felt like to be homeless.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Excuse me. Tommy Brand has sort of made it a staple to be defender of the little guy for his entire legislative career. I mean, when we even saw during covid, he was constantly that guy banging the drum for small owners, small business owners. Um, So, you know,
4: heck of a nomination. All right. Well, thank you for that, Rachel. All
0: right. We're going to bring in the boss, John Rink, now for his nomination. John, who do you got
4: for House Member of the Year for 2022? um, I'm actually going to nominate Representative Julie Cali. She is, uh, to my count, and maybe I missed somebody, but the only member of the Republican caucus who is currently serving as chair on two uh, statutory standing committees. Uh, she is uh, the chair of the um, local government uh, committee as well as uh, rules and competitiveness committee. Uh, she's also um, had 10 of her bills this session signed into law. She's worked on some really good issues, uh, important uh, to us as journalists, as is, is one that she introduced, it not go anywhere, but she introduced it in October, which would have uh, simplified the language of the Open Meetings Act, made it more approachable, more understanding. That's always a critical issue for us. Uh, she's also worked on making childcare more affordable and accessible. She's worked on a whole host of issues this session. Uh, her, her, I guess, reliability and her insight uh, is being recognized by incoming minority leader Matt Hall, he's hired her as his uh, as the GOP Republican uh, director of strategy uh, for the coming session. So says a lot. Uh, so for that reason, I am nominating uh, Representative Julie Kelly as the MERS uh, 2022 House Member of the Year.
0: Well, a great nomination, John. And of course, Julie Kelly was our MERS News House Member of the Year for 2021. But this year, she saw signed into law regulations for pharmacy benefit managers. Now, that's an issue that had zero attention brought to it until Kelly brought it forward with Speaker Wentworth's House reforms uh, for health policy. Uh, she saw through public acts also on child care regulations, voting, marijuana. Just another great year for Julie Kelly, who also got a shout out in the goodbye speech of Jeff Yarick as a, a possible gubernatorial candidate someday. So uh, she's obviously respected by her peers. Now, for my nomination, I'd like to give some shout-outs to a few people who I believe did some good work in 2022. First off, Representative Mary Whiteford. Uh, She has really found a passion in improving the lives of the poor and mentally ill. Her 988 emergency number for someone going through a mental health crisis went online this year. She chaired the DHHS budget where she pushed to spread out psychiatric hospital beds so they could be more accessible to the public. Uh, One of her bills allows community-based organizations to distribute opioid overdose reversal drugs in the same way a pharmacist would, which uh, could save lives. Uh, Another of her PAs would prioritize keeping kids who are in foster care with a relative if possible. And of course, she took on the House Appropriations Committee chair, uh, committee as chair uh, for that brief period after Tom Albert resigned in protest over some spending he objected to so just overall Mary Whiteford uh, continues to be effective and impactful and highly active which of course is our top criteria uh, also I want to give out uh, give a shout out to Matt Hall a uh, state representative going to be the minority leader for the Republicans this coming year I think he fits under this category as well you know He emerged as really the straw that stirs the drink in the House Republican caucus. He won the leadership post there and uh, negotiated on behalf of the caucus on some high-level pieces of legislation. Uh, He positioned himself well to emerge as the leader of the caucus. He had that deal with uh, Representative Sarah Leitner agreeing to move out of a district that they were drawn in together so she could stay at her home. Uh, He sponsored a bill that allowed election officials to remove names from the qualified voter file um, who had unknown dates of birth. He was also the sponsor of the $2.5 billion tax cut plan that the governor ended up vetoing. And uh, the last thing I want to put forward here is Representative Andrew Fink. Uh, The Hillsdale Republican had kind of a tough year uh, in the beginning when Representative Matt Maddock slammed him in front of uh, some college Republicans in Fink's own district. Uh, But he emerged from the session with six public acts, at least, including one that allows employers to make judgment calls on when workers could come back to the job when they had COVID. You know, if someone felt fine, was working outdoors, they weren't near others, the idea was that there shouldn't be any state restrictions on when these employees could um, check back in. Uh, He also made sure circuit court judges got a raise, but more importantly, he sponsored the bill that gave clerks the two days of absentee ballot pre-processing, which uh, Danielle mentioned earlier. It also gives clerks the ability to scrub the qualified voter file once a month for deceased voters. So uh, I'd like to give some nominations to those three individuals. Uh, we're going to listen to some Jeopardy music, and we'll be back with our winner. So this public recognition that we give out here at MERS is designed for people who are effective, impactful, and have exerted a high level of activity. And uh, this individual's six acts uh, were just as many as anybody. But beyond that, one of the uh, contributors to the uh, MERS team was really struck by this person's refusal to let his campaign team go forward with a political attack against his Senate opponent about wanting to defund the police because he didn't think it was accurate. That person was Tommy Brand, and uh, he was not going to let those attacks go against Winnie Brinks, who ended up becoming the Senate Majority Leader. He said he didn't think the reports were accurate or fair. He just wasn't going to be a part of it. You know, we spent uh, a bit of time giving Representative Bran some accolades for the work that he did about increasing the cigarettes, um, tobacco purchasing age to 21, and uh, for letting service animals who are training into public places. But uh, I want to read this quote from Representative Scott Van Singel during his farewell speech. Uh, I thought it was uh, fairly appropriate. He said, Tommy is one of the most decent and compassionate men I have ever met. His time in public office was not... For his own benefit but for the less fortunate and those in need and you know this legislative session you know now is probably just as an appropriate time as any to recognize the little guy the soft spoken champion of forgotten causes that is tommy brand and he is going to be our mers news house member of the year All right, joining us now in MERS World headquarters is the new Chief Justice of the Michigan Supreme Court, Elizabeth Clement. Thank you so much for coming across the street here to MERS <laughs> World headquarters. Appreciate it, and glad to see you.
5: Thanks for having me, Kyle.
0: So, what are we going to see um, different with the Supreme Court with you as the Chief Justice than what we saw with Bridget McCormick?
5: Oh, that's a that's a great first question. <laughs> um, you know, I think we're going to see a lot of a lot of the same, um, and that's because she put together a foundation of where the judiciary is headed. Um, and it's you know my my job is carrying that across the finish line and keeping that work going. Um, so, you know, with the pandemic and over the last four years we've we've really broadened what our focus is for the third branch of government. Um, and you know my my number one priority is is seeing that through. But I also have other priorities um, that, you know, that I've been passionate about. And the the first one that comes to mind is juvenile justice. I worked on the governor's task force uh, with Lieutenant Governor as as the chair of that task force. Um, We did a lot of work over um, the last year and a half. And we're looking at moving into the next phase of that with with legislative and rule changes to implement those recommendations.
0: So what does the legislature uh, need to do in that space
5: um well i you know i think we're going to start um this next legislative session with a lot of education uh, we have a lot of new members um, we've had a lot of support for all of our priorities um, but when it comes to juvenile justice um it we, we the governor took a, a, a position and and really prioritized juvenile justice which we appreciate because I feel like it gets lost in the in the middle of the adult criminal system and and our child welfare system, and we've got a lot of kids in that middle space um, that that have I think been um, you know forgotten, um, and so what what it's going to take is is really educating the legislature, um, and what we're looking for is. Is investment, um, and that and that's going to include funding. But there's also statutory changes to make sure that that what um, what our priorities are and the reforms that we um, that we recommended that we're able to, to get those through. So when I when I bring up funding, the child care fund, um, and that's reimbursement at the local level to allow local courts to provide those services to to, to both um, youth in the juvenile justice system as well as their families um, to help them. Get, get the services that they need so that they can be successful and then not come back to the system.
0: Uh, Danielle, do you have a question?
5: Yes,
1: I did have one, but sorry, it's, um, the, the house phone is ringing. We have a, a landline and it was going off, so I'm just you, moving you away. Do you actually have one of those? Yeah, it's um, my parents, they run part-time a blueberry farm in the summer and so a lot of the calls um you know for the business come through that so we've just never gotten rid of it which is a little weird i feel dated but um wow. anyways you know my question know you, for you had is,
0: a blueberry farm
1: yeah yeah um i've i've lived here ever since i was a kid my parents bought it i think in 1995 and so this is where i grew up
0: is it a you pick them or not
1: um we do a little bit of both it's majority you pick but we do a little pre-pick
0: picking blueberries is hard
1: yeah, no, it's hard work. It's I did the I ran the stand um, mostly. I didn't do a whole bunch
0: of the picking because it is it tires you out.
5: House phone and blueberry farm. You learned something new
0: today. Right? I, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of I'm kind of blown away. Okay, anyway, go ahead, Danielle. Yes,
1: yeah. Back on topic. Um, no, my question for you is, you know, obviously this is a, a large honor. What are you most excited for?
5: It's a huge honor, and I'm really appreciative of of the confidence that my colleagues have in me. Um, I'm most looking forward to, to working with them um, each of my colleagues is engaged in all of the work that we're doing um, and I'm really excited to to welcome a new member to the court um, and with that comes comes changes and and seeing how um, you know the court changes to you know to welcome that new member and and to look at what our priorities are and, and to, to get moving on them um, You know, I I mentioned juvenile justice. I'm very excited about that. Um, This last budget cycle, we had uh, we received funding for a statewide case management system, which you know, when you when you talk to most people about it, they're like, you know, what does that matter? Uh, It's it's a really huge deal uh, for the judiciary. Right now, we have uh, multiple case management systems across the state. The data that is collected is not uniform. It's really hard to make decisions on policy. Um, without without having all of the data and without having the data be uniform ar- across the state, so we are we we really feel like this is going to be a game changer for um, for the future of the judiciary. I can
0: tell you that our courts reporter Lisa Roos Church is very excited about yeah. this.
5: Yes, it's a, it's um, you know we're we're in the in the phase we've received the funding. We're in the phase of of really making sure that we have the you know the best system, and we're we're working through that process now. But it is it's going to be a game changer in all of the work that we do across the state.
0: Um, just to be clear, you're the chief justice now, but do you have to get elected again at the end at the beginning of the year in 2023?
5: I do. Um, oh. We have a court rule um, that requires uh, every every odd numbered year, so every every two years um, we do a chief justice election. So we will do that at our first conference in January.
0: So you're going to be running for that.
5: I am yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> do you know of anybody else who's going to be running for? That? I do
5: not. I do not.
0: So what is that like running for a chief justice position when there's just seven of you? How does that even work?
5: It, you know, it's it's really just having conversations with your with your colleagues. Um, I work really well with with everyone on the court, um, and and so it's having conversations about about what we've been doing and what um, what you know my priorities and what I what my vision is for the court going forward. Um, hearing from them of what their priorities are, what their concerns are, um, and taking that into, into account and, and working that into um, you know the 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 platform of of how how I plan on on moving forward. So it's really you know with seven of us it's it's you know I think a lot easier to have those conversations um, because we you know we're together every single week uh, working on cases and and talking about the administration of the court. So. Um, it's it's one-on-one conversations and then, you know, bringing it to the to the conference table and taking a vote.
1: You talked about how, you know, a new member will change the voice and the priorities of, you know, the court. What will Kyra Bolden's voice add and, you know, what do you anticipate those priorities being?
5: So um, I, I can't wait to stop saying Justice Appointee Bolden. <laughs> It'll be nice to say Justice Bolden. Um, you know, I think already we see from her um, just... An incredible amount of energy, um, and and a perspective that that we don't currently have on the court. Um, having having a uh, recently, you know, uh, f- you know, serving legislator on the court, you know, she's going to bring more of a. Um, a community voice i think um she's you know she's been interacting with her community and communities especially since she just ran for this position around the state and and i think is going to be able to bring that to the court on on the administrative side Um, and you know every time we have a new member the, the 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 way the court operates changes um, but it's also exciting and I think um, with you know with her energy um, her curiosity I mean the conversations that that I've already had with her and that my colleagues have had with her you know it's just it's 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 been um, it's been very exciting and I think we are all as sad as we are that that Justice McCormick is leaving I think we're all really excited for January 1st to come and and to get started
0: um, how many chief justices have you talked to about this role?
5: Um, just uh, our former chief justice, okay. Bridget McCormackie. I mean, I've talked with Bob Young over the years. I worked with him, you know, for the six years that he was the chief justice um, before I was even on the court. I worked very closely with him in my my prior job. So, um, but you know, as far as you know, in the recent you know few yeah. months, um, yeah, just just the, the the immediate past chief
0: justice. Well, did she give you any advice that stuck with you? Um,
5: she's given me a lot of advice. I've, mm-hmm. I've worked really closely with her since I joined the court, um, and especially since she's, since she's been the chief, um, working on all of these priorities. Um, you know, I, I think the, the hardest advice that she gave me is that I wasn't going to be able to continue doing all of the liaison roles that I currently have. Oh. Um, so I, I currently serve as a liaison for child welfare, our problem-solving courts, um, and the Michigan Judicial Institute um, and, and for some reason I thought I'll, I'll just keep doing all of those um, and she you know made it very clear that it's just not possible you know with with all of the other work that I'm gonna be doing I've got to kind of broaden um, broaden my my uh, my role mm-hmm. um, and, and turn those those over to another justice I am going to keep my my liaison role for juvenile justice because I have I'm incredibly passionate about that. You know, not that I'm not about the other ones, but they're all in in really good hands already. Um, but I really want to see the juvenile justice reforms uh, cross the finish line.
0: Justice, what do you think about the party nominating process for Supreme Court justices?
5: Oh, I have a lot of thoughts on that. I'm um, sure you do. You know, <clears throat> I understand why that compromise was made decades ago. Um, you know, it was a it was an effort to you know cut. It's we're, we're we're supposed to be nonpartisan, and and to to be nonpartisan, you can't have judges raising money and having you know uh, uh, you know campaign accounts year after year, and so there was an effort to, to change that, um, and one of the compromises was for the for the Supreme Court having this nomination process. Um, I think it is unfair to the public. Um, I think it. If if the judiciary is truly to be nonpartisan, um, it's it, it's a it's a it's a system that we don't see elsewhere in the country, um, where you are nominated by a, a party at a convention. And then the very next day, um, and then the, f- the following uh, ballot, you are on the nonpartisan section of the ballot. Um, I think that it should be truly nonpartisan. I don't have, you know, a perfect solution. You know, I've looked at what other states have done, um, and but I, I do think that there has to be a, a better way um, because it's frustrating for me and my colleagues to hear, you know, uh, you know, Dem justices versus Republican yeah. justices. And you know whether that's through appointment or through the nominating process, you know we don't look at it like that. We we truly, when the seven of us are together, we we really feel that we are nonpartisan, and that's just part of the process that we unfortunately have to go through um, with with the election process. So. Um, I'd like to see that change I I think it's it's imperative that the people of the state have have the uh, the the right to vote on their Supreme Court justices but the the party piece is you know it's it's it it causes a lot of concern I think
0: two more questions the next one is uh, the State Officers Compensation Commission will be meeting again in 2023 to make recommendations on your salary as Supreme Court justices Uh, would you have any advice or uh, any any, um, thoughts for them as to what the proper salary of this position should be?
5: You know, I think that they need to look at the judiciary as a whole. And, um, I, I believe that this fall, uh, the, the court of, well, we're slated for the raise that was, that was put into place, I think two years ago, mm-hmm. um, that that'll take effect in, um, in January. Um, that'll be the first time since the early two thousands that the Supreme court has received a, a raise. Um, and they'll be meaning again. I, I believe that this fall, the Court of Appeals uh, judges will be making more than than the Michigan Supreme Court. Um, and I and I just I you know it's not really to me about the the dollar figure. It's it's about making sure that we're that we're attracting and, and retaining talent on our on our highest court. Um, and so you know I I think that the. That SOC has, has routinely recognized that, that the recommendation should be to in, increase those salaries, um, and then it gets, you know, can get stuck in, in the legislative process. So I'm hoping that they review all of that data um, and look at that and, and you know, make, make a recommendation based on, on um, what we've seen in the last few years.
0: Last question. Do you ever close your eyes during oral arguments?
5: No, I don't think so.
0: Ooh, that's a good idea. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you never want to be accused of sleeping, right? No,
5: absolutely not.
0: You've never fallen asleep, have you, during oral? No
5: absolutely not. No, no. No. Could
0: you imagine? No. I mean, you could. There could be an ad against you. There or could. There could. <laughs>
5: I mean, it would go up immediately now that we have YouTube and you know social media. <laughs>
0: Beth Clement, she is the new Chief Justice of the Michigan Supreme Court. Appreciate you coming over here and uh, joining us on a podcast.
5: Thank you, today. Kyle.
0: Join us now on the podcast is the representative-elect from House District 48, which is Livingston County and parts of Washtenaw County. It is Jennifer Conlin. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast.
6: Thank you for having me. And it's also a little part of Jackson County.
0: A little bit of Jackson, too, huh?
6: How'd Waterloo you, Town.
0: How'd you do in that little piece of Jackson.
6: I think I got some votes there. I didn't. It's such a small bit of my uh, district, but I I was out there a bit, so you know, I think I got some votes.
0: <laughs> well, that's great. Well, tell our listeners a little bit about you and your background.
6: Yeah. So I I uh, grew up here in Ann Arbor, Michigan, in Washtenaw County, and uh, attended the University of Michigan uh, for undergrad, and then went to Northwestern for graduate school in journalism and then embarked on a a 20 year career overseas as a journalist. My husband was also a journalist um, and we met uh, at the University of Michigan, but then moved to New York and DC and then ended up abroad for 20 years. He told me we were going for two years and it didn't quite turn out that way. Uh, So he was working for Reuters, which is a British news agency. So we were um, in Europe, uh, London, Paris and Brussels for 19 years, and then ended up in Cairo in the Middle East, uh, in Egypt, and um, came back to Michigan right before uh, the revolution there, kind of worried with three children that something was bubbling and concerned about the kids' safety, and ended up back in Michigan 12 years ago, and never left. So uh, I started writing more for, I, during my career, I was a freelancer, mostly for the New York Times and then a national stringer. So when we got back here, I was reporting a lot on Detroit and the economic development and revitalization around 2010, 12 in Detroit, um, Had a National Endowment for the Arts uh, uh, grant to do a civic uh, journalism project in Detroit around arts and culture, and then ended up taking a job at the University of Michigan in communications for six years and then a year and a half ago, went back to deciding to freelance um, full-time and ended up having the call from the New York Times to cover the Oxford school shooting on November 30th. So I was one of the first reporters there, covered that story for two full days, driving back on the Friday night from the children's you know, candlelight vigil in the park, just thought, oh my God, I wish there was something more I could do at this point in my life about these things. So when you ask the universe, things happen. And I got a phone call in January, a year ago, basically, saying uh, would you ever think of running in this new district that you live in that's 50 50 Republicans and Democrats? So uh, that's the beginning uh, geez, it's, uh,
0: so so that Oxford, covering that Oxford shooting then it sounds like that was maybe a, um, a real turning point in in your life.
6: It really was. I had not covered a school shooting before and uh, being one of the first people to get there and knocking on doors um, on the street where the where the shooter lived. And seeing just how devastated the entire community was walking down Main Street, going in the coffee shop, people were in the fetal position, everyone was crying, people were walking days, going to the school, having the high school kids want to be interviewed by me, having no idea how to interview them, making sure their parents were nearby. They would say, oh, I can't remember what happened next. And I would say, please don't remember what happened next. Go judge your parent. And the whole thing just was one of the hardest things I've ever done as a reporter. And when I had to go back a second day and they wanted me back a third day and I I couldn't because I had to be somewhere else, but I just thought, oh, I don't know. This is a very hard story to report, but it has to be reported.
0: Danielle?
1: Yeah, you know, having that experience, I guess how, what do you want to bring to the state house in 2023 that will make sure that things like that you stop happening in Michigan?
6: Obviously, you know, we have a lot of common sense gun safety laws out there, and I think we need to move forward. My district has a lot of hunters, and uh, I've even hunted myself, and I'm not against hunting, but I think everyone who does hunt, those are that's a population that cares about the environment and cares about safe, gun-responsible ownership. And after um, Evaldi, the Texas shooting happened, I did talk on the doors about it. And the first door I hit in Brighton was a woman who said, "See my children over there playing um, in front of the TV. See that closet back there that has three locks on it, and that's you know behind that are are um, you know weapons that we love to hunt, but that ha- they have to be very safely stored." And she agreed immediately that we should have some safe storage firearms laws.
0: So um, was that a was that a message then that you heard? through other doors as well. I mean, as even as you went into the more rural areas of your district and you do have quite a few rural areas in your district.
6: You know, I'll, I'll be honest. I didn't bring up the gun thing constantly because I decided what I really wanted to run on was uh, very local issues around PFAS contamination. Rural broadband was a big one with my farms, infrastructure, education, healthcare, uh, you know, if somebody brought it up and said, I, you know, you're going to take my guns away, I would say, no, I'm not. I'm not planning on taking your guns away. That's the Second Amendment. I'm not doing that. But I would always listen. And the thing about being a journalist, as you both know, is we're very good at listening, asking questions, finding out what people's concerns were. And when somebody said something that might, you know, I need my AR-15. It's a lighter weapon for my son when we were hunting. That was a conversation. You know, I'd say, OK, tell me about that. So, I listened as closely as I could on the doors to what everybody was telling me more than telling them as much what I was thinking about every single thing I asked what they were thinking and I said you know I would look into that and I would think about that and here's where I might stand now but what you're telling me is interesting so that was I think why I decided and was asked to maybe think about this 50 50 district because it needed somebody who would listen to alternative opinions and that's what you know we're good at as journalists and also you know i can knock on doors i can talk to strangers all day so (laughs) there's that and dig deep into policy
1: yeah i guess you know my follow-up for you is you talk about how your experience in journalism has really helped you interact with people how have some of your experiences abroad kind of shaped you and you know why do you think that that would make you those experiences would make you a good fit for this seat
6: so living overseas um, very much like the military in some ways, although obviously we weren't with the military. But when you're living abroad, you are an American first, before you're a Democrat, before you're a Republican. And all the other Americans you meet over there, you you become part of a bond. So when we were there for presidential elections, the U.S. Embassy, whether it was in London or in another country we were, Russell's, wherever they would have, you know, an election night party and you would be there with the Republicans abroad and the Democrats abroad. And you would even find yourself often afterwards, I mean, after the kind of um, Gore Bush situation, right, where we had the hanging chads, if you can remember back then. Yeah. We would be at a dinner party in England where people would say, oh, you know, um, Bush didn't deserve to win. And we, as Democrats, were Americans first. And we would say, yes, he did. You know, the process went through and he won. and and you just learned how to be an American first when you, because you're representing your country, whether, no matter what you're doing. If you're working for a corporation over there, if you're working for a news organization, if you're obviously part of our armed services, and uh, it just made you very patriotic, actually living abroad, and particularly living in Cairo and living under the Mubarak regime, you know, where you just went to sleep knowing people were being, their human rights were being violated, you know, 24/7.
0: You know what I when I go overseas I'm always interested in what people in other countries think of Americans and I'm always kind of struck by the things that they bring up like uh, one time I was um, in Peru and people wanted to talk about Michael Jackson of all things you know <laughs> but w- what what were people bringing up to you when you were overseas what did they want to talk about when it came to America
6: You know I'd probably say that there was uh, there's one all the celebrities for sure. Yeah, you know, yeah. They're just like fascinated by our entire entertainment industry. But I would say also just, you know, our de- our democracy and, you know, there was a lot of questions around equity always because, you know, they would they would think about America in terms of the wealthiest and then the least fortunate and, you know, you could not argue with that. Also, you know, in in England, I had a baby on the national health service. You know, there's a there's that's a a service a health system that is for everybody and is free so they couldn't understand our system in america where you pay for insurance and you know you you don't have free health care how could that possibly be the case in america so that and you know you'd see social issues around child care and you know there's a lot more that can be built into um particularly the british system even in france there was a lot of um subsidies for moms who were working and so they would always ask me like, what's it like in America? But to be honest, I had three babies overseas so I couldn't really talk about having a baby in America. And my children didn't even get a U.S. education until they were in middle school. So um, so yes, I, I probably, you know, when I got back to America there were some friends of mine here who were European who had lived in Ann Arbor longer and knew more about raising children in America than I did. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so um, you said you had three three kids then? Yeah.
6: Uh, where That's... are they now? So one is in two are in New York City and one is in Washington, D.C. Two work for nonprofits and the other's a computer software programmer. And they're all, they are all came home to help me campaign and they'll all be home this week uh, to for the holidays. And so and my husband's Jewish and my children were raised Jewish. So we do. This is one of those years where it's Christmas where you do Hanukkah and Christmas at the same time. So we've got the menorahs up. We got the Christmas tree up. It's all happening.
0: Oh gosh, I, that's right. It's a, it was Hanukkah yesterday, correct? Last night. Last we were,
6: night. I was. We were at Menorah in the D, which is the lighting of uh, of the Menorah in Detroit. It was great.
0: Oh wow, I've never been to that. How how? What kind of attendance is at that?
6: It had a lot of people. I, I will say it was freezing, and um, our lieutenant governor and secretary of state were great, and along with others went 30 feet up to light the first candle of the of the Menorah and. We're very brave because it was quite cold out there, but everybody hung in and it was a wonderful ceremony.
1: Oh my gosh, a thirty
6: foot menorah? <laughs> yeah, I think it is thirty feet. They put them on like a lever crane to go up and light it.
1: Wow. That yeah. sounds really interesting. Wow. And you know, to kind of take it back if we have time for another question. Yeah, please. You talked about awesome. You talked about, you know, how your your children all came home and helped you campaign. What was your favorite part of that campaign process and what was one thing that you found was a little more difficult?
6: so my favorite part was being in livingston county i'll be honest i spent less time canvassing in ann arbor um it was 18 percent of my vote uh i spent almost all my time and at the end in the last four months probably five hours a day i took two days off to go to my nephew's wedding but that was it and uh what one as you know it was just a crazy beautiful autumn the leaves were just incredibly beautiful and it was you know unseasonably warm which might be climate change but it was very nice if you're knocking doors and uh getting to know the district uh i found out that between brighton and howell is called Browell, which i had not really known my district is this district is all parks and lakes and farms and rivers basically it doesn't include the city of howell it doesn't include the city of brighton it doesn't include the city of dexter it doesn't include the city of jackson it has the village of pinckney and part of plymouth road in ann arbor and basically I was talking to everybody about how beautiful the district is but how conservation is super important. Every a lot of inland lakes. Probably a district with most with more inland lakes than almost any other although I think there might be one with more but I've got over 40 lakes in this district and there's PFAS contamination and they can't always eat the fish in the in the lakes or and they worry about going out on their boats with the algae blooms and so we talked a lot about conservation and infrastructure on the roads because i've got nine townships with lots of um, road needs and uh, education and health care so what was fabulous was just getting to know i mean most people open their doors when you knock if you knock hard enough and they hear you <laughs> and um everybody in the district i think almost everybody had a dog so that that's challenging when you're trying to talk to somebody um, but also I would say no, nobody was really mean to me. Not you know, if somebody would say, oh, you're really nice, you seem so nice, I'm a Republican, I can't vote for you. And I'd say, well, you know, there is free will, you could think about it. But I did, <laughs> I knocked as low, sort of, I knocked as many doors as I could that I thought were Republicans and independents. And, um, and you know, when there were Republicans who, who were feeling really that the party had moved in another direction than they were in, you know, I said, OK, well, I'm sorry because that's that's a hard thing for you to be going through. But, you know, if you'll take a baby step or two and, and vote for me, I'd love to represent you and have you, you know, see what I might be able to do for this district. And so I do think I got a lot of Republicans and independents to, to come over on my side. And probably every every two weeks I do one hour in Ann Arbor and then I'd say, well, this is boring. Let me go back up and talk to my per persuasive voters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ann Arbor was pretty democratic. Yeah. I needed them, of course. I needed and appreciate them, but it was more interesting to try to go talk to people who maybe didn't disagree with everything. Mm-hmm.
0: Last question I want to ask you, what else are your interests outside of, of politics and, and journalism?
6: Well, travel, <laughs> which I haven't done in a very long time. And so it'd be nice to go back to England and see friends I haven't seen in four years. Uh, I live in a multi-generational family. My My 89-year-old mother lives upstairs uh, with us. Um, I actually have an older brother who lives with me as well, with us as well. They've got my husband. I've got three kids in and out all the time. Uh, so I'm pretty domestic because there's a lot of people to feed here. <laughs> I like to cook. I've got a dog and I dog sit a lot of my friends' dogs. That might change when I'm in Lansing three days a week. But uh, so probably those are you know obviously I love to read. I love to write. Uh, I, I might be doing less of that now. Certainly I won't be doing the, the journalism like I did. Uh, so yeah, that's probably and I and I play a little on the side. I play a little pickleball. <laughs> nice.
0: Well, you might be writing. You'll just be writing bills as opposed to writing articles
6: yes a whole new skill set to learn
0: completely different but well thank you very much for the time jennifer conlin she is the new state representative for district 48 appreciate uh, you coming on and joining us for the podcast
6: thank you so much
0: and that's going to do it for this week's edition of the mers monday podcast appreciate chief justice beth clement uh, for coming in and joining us here at mers world headquarters also jennifer conlin for joining us here for that last segment also, uh, we appreciate having Rachel Just from Sinclair Broadcasting come in. She will be here next week, along with Jordan Hermony from M Live, to give nominations for our Senator of the Year. Danielle James was here as the uh, boss. John Rorink was here as well. Samantha Schreiber will be back next week for the Senator of the Year nominations. And uh, best wishes to Mark Bayshore. He should be back here very shortly as well. He has been doing post-broadcast for the MERS Monday podcast all year, and uh, we've been happy to have him. He's uh, not able to step in this week, but uh, we will be seeing him again soon. AT&T, thank you for your sponsorship of the MERS podcast for the entire calendar year of 2022 and uh, years prior. We appreciate that. Thank you very much. Until next week, I'm Kyle Molin Take care.